0: Yeah, well let's let's dig in. Hello everybody, I'm David Cooks, and I tell you what. We, we know that paralysis can take on many forms. It can be physical like mine, it can, can be something. do anything you put your mind to. And what we try to do is feature stories that go from difficult places to fulfilling purpose. What seems
1: impossible?
0: Done by you. Our guest today is story of surviving a brain tumor, the death of a family member, and just recovering.
1: They knock
2: you down, but don't let it stop
0: you. I think you will enjoy. I hope we can make it through this without crying.
2: <laughs> we was headed down to my son's baby shower. Um, and they called me and said, Hey, we need you to come into the office now. It was on a Saturday. And I was like, all right, look, we about to get cleared. We about to go in and get cleared. And so I walk into my training room and we sit down and Matt has a look on his face and I'm not really paying attention to it. And I'm like, hey man, what's up? Talk to me, when can I get back to playing ball? And he was like, well, you need to start thinking about things outside of football. First time I ever heard that in my life. Won't be the last though. And so when you say that, I'm like, Whoa, like, what you mean? Football, like, this is how I'm gonna fa- feed my family, provide for my family. My goal is to make it to the league. I never thought about doing anything else outside of football. What do you mean? Well, you got to put You have a brain to it. Got so much to give, a lot of life to live. You must go from paralysis to purpose. Get your pen and paper out. Yeah. I'm
0: taking notes. Paralysis to purpose. Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Paralysis to Purpose, the podcast. I'm your host, David Cooks. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and share this podcast, like this podcast, and leave a review. I appreciate that. You know, I say this every time. I love what I do because I get to interview some of the world's most intriguing and inspiring people. Today is no exception. I hope we can make it through this without crying. (laughs) Our guest today, uh is a former nfl player he's a ceo of a couple of organizations he's a father of three and his story of surviving a brain tumor surviving the death of of a family member and just recovering is something that i think you will enjoy you know in paralysis to purpose we like to talk about the journey and we talk about perspective we talk about perseverance and we talk about partnerships and i'm sure today that you're going to hear some of that I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Shermike QL. He goes by Mike Moore. Mike, welcome to the podcast.
2: Man, Thank you, Mr. Cooks, for having me. It's such an honor and a pleasure to be on here and sharing my story and my testimony so that we can help change lives. That's what God takes us through. Uh, we never know how God is going to use our lives. We say this small prayer every day, God, use me for your, use me for your will. And you have to really sit back and understand when you're asking God to use him for your will, for His will, you have to understand He's going to take you through things that's going to better you in the process of bettering others. We live to serve others. so I I'm, I'm excited to
0: be here. One of the things that I say is that we don't get to necessarily choose our testimony, but we do get to choose how we respond to it. And if we if we respond properly, it will lead to serving others and and others will benefit from the things that we've been through. So, Mike, uh, let's go back and talk about when you first fell in love with football and, and the relationship that you had with your father as it relates to encouraging you to play football.
2: Man, I have to tell you, when. Um, it really started when I was in the womb. You know, my dad was playing football. He played football for Baylor. Missed the NFL by a stint, and so he was still chasing that dream as so many athletes do. Um, they didn't have arena football um, that I knew about back then, so he was doing semi-pro, um, played for a couple of teams, and was trying to really just still chase that dream um, after college, and so being able to be born during the time he was playing, I was immersed in, it. as you know. Um, when your family members playing football as the head of the household, it engulfs the whole family. That's the reason why I haven't went into coaching now, just because I didn't want my family to be engulfed in football and not have a life of their own. So um, starting at five years old, I started playing contact football. My dad didn't put me in flag football. He was like, hey, if you're going to play football, you're going to play contact. <laughs> so um, I started playing football for the Saints in South Dallas, Texas, and um, we went from there. Um, my first practice, he put me at running back because my dad played running back, and um, his teammate was the head coach of the team. So they put me back there, and I got hit so hard, so hard. And that was just like, hey, welcome to contact football. <laughs> Because he, he put me into practice with older players, Um, older players. He was like, hey, if you're able to take hits from these players, then you're going to be fine going against um, players of your own. And so being able to go through that and experience it and be able to feel, um, feel what I felt, it was like, hey, this ain't that bad. I could take that. You know, I think it's more so as um, it's more so the fear, the shock um, of it as, you know, when we're parents, we tell our kids, hey, calm down, breathe, you fine. And that's what he was able to do for me. And so starting there, I loved it based on just our conversation so far, I'm assuming that education was very important to your family.
0: Oh, and yeah. So, what, what was the role that education played and, and why was it so important uh, to your mom and dad?
2: Well, education was, uh, was a really big thing. My mom didn't go to college. She worked her way. She's been, what, 30, years going on 30 years that she's been in banking. She serves in a high role in the banking field now. Um, and so being able to have the she had my sister when she was 15. So having to get a job and to work in the bank and then work from a teller to, um, well, first of all, working as a clerk, a male clerk, then working her way all up to managing a bank and being the VP of a bank. Um, she's been able to go through those ranks. And so she was like, son, she always taught us, if you get an education, there's something that can never be taken away from you. My dad didn't graduate from college. He, um, he was what, 12 hours short from having his degree. Mm-hmm. And so when you transition from the sport, it was a hard. It was a hard time for him finding that niche, finding that job because he didn't have a degree, and that's what led him to have his um to start his own company. So education was key. They always told us, "Hey, get your grades, do the right thing." And I'll be honest with you, I didn't really take education serious until I got into high school. And one of my teachers failed me on purpose because he seen that I had more potential, but I was just doing the bare minimum. And she failed me once six weeks for a week. I had to miss a game, and that's when it really stood out to me, man, if I really don't dive in and take care of my grades and my performance, this football dream its only gonna be a dream. It can never transform into a reality. So uh, I have to say, I really started taking my education seriously when at my sophomore year in high school, when she failed me. You get to high school, you begin to have some great success. Uh, you know, you- no, I just thought I was having great success. <laughs> I started playing as a freshman. Of course, you know you you excel on your freshman team, um, went into the JV team, and but when she failed me that year, that teacher failed me that year. I got labeled as a problem kid that just was here to play sports. So they looked at me and was like, "Hey, um, you are gonna be on JV in another year?" And I was like, "What?" Like, <laughs> and so I tell you, it's really what kicked in. What my parents taught me as a youngster is that you fight, you don't fold, you don't run, and so. So when he told me that, Coach Reginald Samples told me that I was going to be on JV, I want to play for him on varsity to my senior year, I was going to transfer to Brian Adams High School. And so we went, we went, we started going through that process. And I'm so thankful to God that Coach Rob had the heart to really just sit us down and say, hey, I would love to have you here. All my coaches would love to have, we know you'll make amazing impact. But your dream is to go to the NFL you'll have a better chance on going to the NFL from Skyline than coming over here. And I'm just going to be transparent with you. And so when he, with him telling me that and not being selfish and, you know, just getting the talent, me and my parents sat down and we said, no, we're going to stay. We're going to stay and we're going to fight. And it didn't always start all PT clean. I had to fight and work and um, do extra work to make sure that I knew exactly what I was doing. I was a student to the game. I studied my coaches. I spent extra hours with my coaches to learn my craft because I was an undersized TN. So I really had to put in that time and that focus and that effort to make sure that I'm I'm, I'm going to come on top and I'm going to be a, a great competitor for this Skyline team. One of the things that you mentioned, um, and it's been an overriding
0: thing with some of the people that we've talked to, um, is the importance of not just showing up, but showing up early and staying late. Um, but on a personal level, how was is, how, how is that trans- translated?
2: I never wanted to be average in anything that I did. I always wanted to be a top-tier candidate in whatever field. And so putting in that extra hour, putting in that extra two hours, studying and making myself, showing myself approved is what really got me there. So you end up um, uh, at Kansas State. And so my parents always told me, go with who wants you. You go with those who who want you. Kansas State have been solid. They've been wanting you for the longest. You was the only linebacker that they offered that year. Go to Kansas State. And that's what we did. We signed a gray shirt, which I never knew, heard of a gray shirt. So what a gray shirt does is it puts you on scholarship, but your scholarship doesn't start to that winter time. So I went down in the summer to Manhattan, Kansas, um, it was a hard summer, I tell you. I didn't want to be there. Um, then, like, my linebacker coach at the time, and it was it was just a hard time there. And so I, uh, I came back home in the fall. I went back into the winter, which uh, my linebacker coach at the time got another job, and he left, so we had Mike Cox that came in with us. And so we go down to Manhattan, Kansas, um, that winter time, and we start playing. We uh, we work out. We start playing that fall. Um, they start, start using me right away. I went to my freshman year, my sophomore year, and so we're coming up to my junior year now. Um, coming up to my junior year, um, we have we we fighting for a spot. We fighting for a starting spot as a linebacker. I don't. I no longer want to be a role player. I want to be a key player now. See, that's the difference. You got role players, and you got a key player. And so I, I want, I want
0: to talk about your process a little bit because I mean you've mm-hmm. talked, you talked you you moved quickly here, but there's some things, some lessons to be learned. Yes, sir. You you were pretty good in high school, uh, good enough to get these scholarships, and mm-hmm. now you get to K State, and you're two years in, and you are a special teams player. Man, that's you're, hard. You're, you are not the man. You are not. You're you you are one of the guys on the team. What was that like for you psychologically? What did that do to your confidence level? You know. How
2: did you respond to that? Because that's not a, that is not an easy thing to have happen. Well, i even give you one even better, Mr. Cook. So I had to come home that fall when all my other teammates stayed in school. I had my partner, Anthony Wallace, that went to Oregon. Franklin Shannon with on OU. Uh, and they were playing. Like, they were playing on special teams. And I was sitting at home on the couch working out, not in school. And so that right there was hard because I'm like, how did we get here? Like we we could have went anywhere, but we were so stuck on the University of Minnesota and my father had a conversation with me and my mom, he said, hey, it's not about how you begin. It's about how you finish. So you go out there and you work hard, you do your extra work, so when you go to school, you have a longer clock than your counterpart. So you gotta understand your life is your own. You can't compare your life to this person and that person. You gotta understand that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And so going down to Manhattan, Kansas, we had Arthur Brown that just transferred from the University of Miami to Kansas State University. And so he was my big brother on the team. And I used to work out with AB. Um, we used to do everything together. Uh, when we was at the complex, so I, I, I tailored my game. Like we said, when you around like-minded players that have the same goals and dreams and aspirations that are good, that challenges you to even pick up your game because we're a compete competitors. And so he was playing linebacker. I'm playing special teams, working out together. We're doing things, but it was hard being a man in high school and then going in to Manhattan, Kansas, which I didn't want to be at in the first place. Uh, that was a hard transition, but ultimate goal was to what? Make it to the NFL. So I will go through this to get to the get to the ultimate goal. Wow. So so in the midst of you you had to do what you had to do Ooh. in
1: order to
0: in order to potentially get to do what it is that you wanted to do. Yes, sir. So let's 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 talk about that junior year because that's Ooh. when things begin to change for you. And yes, not just not just on the court or on the field rather, Um, but these were real life changes. These are, are, you know, we all have certain things in our lives that we always will remember and walk us through what was going on with you
2: the beginning of your junior year. So, um, going into my junior year that summer, I started falling out of workouts, uh, and that, and you don't do that when you play in college, abroad. you're not supposed to fall out of workouts because that means you're not taking care of your body. And so I knew I was taking care of my body. I started falling out of workouts, started having full body cramps. And so my coaches are looking at me as, oh, you just out partying, you're not really taking it seriously. You're supposed to be competing for a starting spot, but now you're playing around. We're not going to give it to you. And so, um. After the first game, we had a first game, and um, I did well in the game. Had a great game. We was fighting for that um, the starter position. So um, I was fighting for that position. After our first game, I started having back pain. Um, started having back pain, and when I got into college, I took a tour shot for those. I took a tour shot before every game starting my freshman year. Uh, a tour shot basically numbs the pain so that you don't feel nothing that you that you go through on the field. And so, from my freshman year to my sophomore year, every game I took a tour shot. That junior year, we had to sign um sign a disclaimer, and we didn't know what it was. They were like, "Hey, they did some stuff. Sign this, and so you can get the shot. If you don't sign this, you won't get the shot." Well. I've been taking the shot my whole career and I need to make sure that I'm not feeling pain because I'm in the trenches, I'm playing linebacker, these are big dudes, my body already hurting from practicing and training, man, whatever. So after the game, I started having back problems, back pains, the the next day I urinated blood and not understanding what it was. uh, I kept on playing, why? Because there's a difference between pain and injury, I was always taught, and I'm fighting for a starting position, so I cannot sit out and worry about this, because that's gonna take me away from the game. This is my thought process during the mindset. So um, went went on a Tuesday, and we had a hard practice. Coach Snyder practiced us hard. We had a hard practice, and so I got home. My girlfriend at the time, she was pregnant, um, and so I was at home cooking dinner for my wife, well, for my girlfriend, she's my wife now, but cooking dinner for my girlfriend, and uh, I had to sit down. And she was like, babe, something wrong. Like, I ain't never seen you like this. You're in so much pain. Um, I'm gonna call you, you know, you need to go to the hospital. Of course me, man, I ain't going to the hospital. I'm all right. I just see my trainers in the morning. And she was like, no, like you need to go. So she called my parents. They was like, Hey, now nah, we think you need to go to the- is Victoria calling us about you? you? You probably need to go. So we called my trainers. My trainers, like, man, just meet us down there at the hospital. We'll see what's going on. When I got to the hospital, my creatinine level was at a 3.5. When your creatine levels gets to a level five, you start having major problems. Your kidneys start shutting down, and things of that nature. So. If I wouldn't have went to the hospital that night, God knows where my body, what would have happened to me. So immediately, they admitted me into the hospital. Um, they started running tests, started giving me fluids, and started trying to figure out why did my body go through this. After a week being in the hospital, um, they got my creatine level down, but my levels were still off. My testosterone level was at a 77-year-old man. So I'm performing on the field with the body and the testosterone level as a 77-year-old man. So I know how it feels to be 77 uh, years. Old, in a sense and still competing, still playing, still still thriving on the field. And so um, we was getting ready to play R that Thursday. And of course, I'm a key player now. I'm not a role player. I'm a key player. So my coaches are like, hey, we need to get you back. We, we got to get ready for this game. But my equilibrium is still off. I'm still I can't keep anything now. I can barely walk. And so my mom was like, hey, we need to have a full body MRI. We got to get to the bottom of this before you even go back playing. So we ordered a full body MRI and CAT scan and um, missed that game. And that's when they came back and told me, hey, uh, never forget it. We was headed down to my son's baby shower. um, And they called me and said, hey, we need you to come into the office now. It was on a Saturday. And I was like, all right, look, we about to get cleared. We about to go in and get cleared. And so I walk into my training room and we sit down and Matt has a look on his face and I'm not really paying attention to it. I'm like, hey, man, what's up? Talk to me. When can I get back to playing ball? And he was like, well, you need to start thinking about things outside of football. First time I ever heard that in my life. Won't be the last though. And so when you say that, I'm like, Whoa, like, what you mean? Football, like, this is how I'm gonna fa- feed my family, provide for my family. My goal is to make it to the league. I never thought about doing anything else outside of football. What do you mean? Well, you got a you have a brain tumor. What? What? <coughs> I got a brain tumor. Like, Okay, uh, when can I get back to playing ball? He's like, no, Mike, I think you really need to understand what I'm telling you. You have a pituitary tumor. Is at the base of your brain. You cannot play football with a brain tumor. So my whole world is crushed. Um, you, know, you know what? Um, th-
0: this is really a really good place for us to take a break because you just found out that you had a brain tumor. And you were fighting the you were fighting the reality that you needed to do something else, because you hadn't planned for life away from the game. Yes, sir. So we're going to pick it up right from here when we come back, and we're going to pick it up from when you really finally, when it dawns on you that your football career could really be over. Wow. We'll be right back after this.
1: This episode of Paralysis to Purpose, the podcast is sponsored by Fallon Upe, strategic advisor, investor, and best-selling author. We hope you're enjoying Paralysis to Purpose, the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Paralysis to Purpose for more updates. Also, check out David's website at davidcookspeaks.com to learn more about his mission and purchase his book. Getting Undressed, From Paralysis to Purpose.
0: Hey, welcome back to Paralysis to Purpose, the podcast. We're with our guest, Mike Moore. And he had just found out some devastating information about his health and that he had a brain tumor. And I, I recall having the aneurysm and as an athlete, a, comp- a pedi- as a competitor, you think, okay, yeah, you said I got something, but we'll get through this and let's get to the next game. Mm-hmm. Mike, um... When did it dawn on you? I mean, you, what were the questions? What did you go through when they finally told you, "No, I don't think you understand that
2: you can't play football right now"? I was—I went through a, a slew of emotions. I was crying. I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm trying to figure out how—how how are you telling me that something that I've strived for my whole life, I can't do it anymore? I didn't think about nothing else. Nothing else in life but playing in the NFL to provide for my family. Now you're telling me, hey, you need to figure out something else to do to provide for your family. And it's like, what does that mean? How do you do that? How do you transition from when I, since I was five years, well, before I was five years old, I was always told, and me and my daddy had planned, hey, we making it to the league. We done did everything that we needed to do to make it, to get close to making it. So now you're telling me, nah, you'll never play football again. I didn't. That didn't sit well with me. So um, they told me, "Hey, we'll keep you on scholarship for you to finish your degree, and uh, you could just be—you know—you can be a part of the team. You can come to come to the games, then basically be a cheerleader." Well, for a competitive athlete like myself, um, being a cheerleader was not what I was planning to do. And some people may say that's selfish. Or I, I'm a competitor, and I'm a ball player. So you—you mean, you mean to tell me I got to come to the games and sit and watch other individuals play, and I can't play? That, that didn't sit well with me. It, 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 I never had the experience that I was always a key guy playing. And so um they was like, okay, we gotta go, we got we got we gotta start with a course of action. What can we do? So we went down to Topeka, Kansas, and we was able to meet um Charcy Sandler Slend- Sindler down in Topeka, Kansas. And she was my doctor. Um, she was my doctor and my uh, endocrinologist. And so we started running tests and we starting to figure out where this come from. And, but at the time my first meeting with her. My first meeting with her, she says, "This is crazy. you had a testosterone level as a 77 year old man at the time we just had my son in October so she's like um, are you sure your son is yours? like you're not supposed to be able to produce a son. You're not supposed to be able to do none of this and I'm like, no, nah, I know my son is mine like you know we went through the we went through the legalities and the things in nature um, to make sure that he was mine before we even went through that but just imagine if we didn't get if we didn't get my son tested. If we didn't do that, um, what, what kind of problems, situation that would have brought up then when she's telling me, "Hey, you are not supposed to be able to produce a son? So, so when she talked it, go ahead. Let's talk about that for a
0: minute. Because so you were so your body was so um, messed up mm-hmm. that you basically had a body of an 80 year old man and therefore a yeah. 77 year old man. And she was saying there's no way you should have been able to have a child. So, yes, sir. Here, comes, here comes the first of many miracles for you. Yes, sir. Uh, th- that's amazing that she would say that. Um, I'm gonna let you, we're gonna continue this story right now, but I want to come back at some point, remind me if I forget, um, to um, the lesson you learned about not having a plan B. Because I, t- I tell the players I coached that basketball was your plan B, your plan A should be in education. And mm-hmm. I wanna come back and talk about that because you really were left, plan, you didn't have a plan. You didn't know what you were gonna do. So, sure. uh, so you, you're at the doctor's office and she she begins to talk to you and she's a little confused mm-hmm. by how you had a child, but your body says you're 77 years old. So there was some confusion there, but what, what happened next?
2: So, she's, um, so I was like, hey, um, what do we do now? She's like, okay, I'm going to put you on some medicine. I'm going to put you on some medicine, but you have to be careful to take this medicine. When I tell you, how I tell you, because if you take too much of it, you can run the risk of it hardening your heart. So I'm like, so you mean to tell me I'm taking medicine for my uh, for my brain tumor to shrink my brain tumor, but it can harden my heart at the same time? Give it to me. Come on, if this going to get me back to the game, we're going to do whatever we need to do. So um, we got on the medicine. So we got on the medicine and... Um, we started back working out. I started back working out. I got bigger. I got faster. I got stronger. And we did that all the way from October all the way until, um, what, what, what was that? March. We did that to March. And so we went through winning condition. I went through winter condition and we're getting ready for spring ball. And I went back to my doctor because my body is bigger. I'm faster. I'm stronger. I'm back. I'm um, leading the pack. You know, I'm a leader on my team. And we're about to go into spring ball. So I need to get released. I need to get released to be able to go play ball. We did MRI, did a CAT scan. We go to our appointment. She say, you're not about to play ball. Your your tumor has grown. It hasn't shrunk. And so I'm like, okay, what do we do now? How do what's the next step? Um, She said, well, I got to reach out to, I have to reach out to my colleagues because I really don't know the next step. So she reached out to her colleagues. Eight out of nine doctors came back and said, this guy should never be playing. How is he able to play ball at a high level and doing the things that he's done? He was not supposed to produce a son. He's not going to ever play football again. We have to crack his whole skull open, pull his pituitary gland out, and he'll be on medicine for the rest of his life. It was one doctor that said that he can do an experimental surgery, but I had to get accepted by the hospital, which was the National Institution of Health down in um, Bethesda, Maryland. And so, never heard of the hospital. Did my research. This is one of the top hospitals in the United States, a government hospital, and they only take special cases. So, thankful to God, I got accepted into the hospital. And um, down it, we went down to the NIH uh, in April seventeenth of two thousand and fifteen, and they performed the surgery. I want you to take our listeners back
0: to the time of the surgery, and what you were feeling, the emotions, your son was there.
2: Well, going into surgery, it was very challenging. I'll definitely say that. It was my first surgery I ever had, um, really not knowing the severity of what what, what is about to take place. Um, and my parents were there. I was able to, you know, look at my dad and I'm, I'm just trying to figure out, okay, uh, I gotta be strong with him because he's seeing his baby boy about to go through brain surgery. Uh, my wife was there, my son was there, my mom was there, and so it was just like, I I have to be strong because I am going, to, I'm on the bed about to go into surgery, but it's hard because my baby boy is here, man, he fell asleep on my chest before we went into surgery. And when it was time for them to come get me, they had to take him off my chest and he's crying, he's um, wanting to be, you know, wanting to be on my chest, wanting to go with me. And so finally, they calm him down and they taking me out the room they go get me prepped and get me ready for surgery and then my family's able to come in and um they're talking to me they say hey we prayed we um, we had no shadow of a doubt that the surgery was gonna go well and um my son gave me a kiss and the last thing i remember was him kissing me i drove a off dozed off the sleep so that night after surgery i'm in pain and i'm just like i just want to die and I was like, man, like right now you're a burden. Like I felt like I was a burden to my family because my dad, now he had to stop what he was doing to come down here to sit in the hospital with me, which I'm not understanding how this formed. So that's when that self-condemnation self, con- self condemnation started coming in. I started beating myself up. What did I do to get to this point? What, how did this happen? And so you go through those thoughts of suicide. And so uh, I, I wanted to die. But then I thought about my son and I thought about my wife. I thought about what this would do to my father. What would this do to my mother? Uh, they depended on me. You know, we done made it down here and had a successful surgery. Like, you got to fight. I had just gotten married um, back in December to my wife, Victoria. She had my son October, uh, October 16th of 2014. I graduated from Kansas State that December 2014 because I graduated in two years. So you actually graduated from college in two years. And you-
0: where your teacher was concerned about you sophomore year in high school and and failed you intentionally to wake you up. Clearly mm-hmm. it worked, but how did you graduate in two years from K-State A- think- and playing football?
2: I took the advantage of the, uh, of the opportunity that was given to us. So when we was in school, we had the opportunity to take intercession classes. So what I did was I took, um, I took what I used to take 14, 15 hours Some I have a 15 hour summer easily because I take two intercession classes and then during the summertime you have to take two classes. That's 12 hours right there. So I'm doing 12 hour summers. And the way that I did my intercession classes was I always did it, um, always did it in the wintertime because that was after the bowl game, you have a break. So I did it in the winter time and I did it leading into the summertime. But I couldn't take advantage of the intercession classes going into August because we were in camp. And so I did that, um, I would take 12 hours summers, Fifteen-hour caseloads during the season, um, during the year, and that's easy because it's only four, what three to four classes. I'm taking online classes, so those are easy. I can knock those out. So when my when we got there, we figured out that I had a brain tumor, and we was putting my schedule together. She was like, "Hold on, Mike, I, you about to graduate?" And I'm like, "Huh? I'm about to graduate? Okay, then let's go with it." <laughs> and so um, you were about to
0: graduate. You had a tumor. You didn't even know about all that. No, and, were, and this is what's so interesting about your stories is that here's another thing that you you're just doing what
2: you do, not understanding it all. And mm-hmm. you're going to you're going to graduate. What was your degree in? My degree was in Family Studies and Human Services with an emphasis on marriage counseling. I was interested and fascinated with how, what makes people do the things that they do? Why do they respond and react that way? And so I always been a family man and my parents went through a stint to where they was on the verge of getting a divorce. And so I had a key, I had a heart for marriage. I had a heart to try to help people stay together and what leads them to that. So that's why I had an emphasis on marriage counseling because I wanted to be a marriage counselor. And playing football, if you graduate in enough time, which I Learn then Kansas State can pay for your master's degree. That's less money that you have to come out your pocket. So I graduated that 2014 when I went to Kansas State to talk to them about entering the master's program for um, marriage counseling. Bill my uh, my counselor, my head counselor said, Mike, you can't do that. I said, Why not? Well, the hours that in the hours and the time that you have to commit into that will take you away from football. You here to play football, so. They put me into a coaching master's program and not into marriage counseling. And so, um, that, the, the year, the semester that I had my brain tumor surgery, I finished my first uh, semester of grad school, that same, that same course, that same time, at the same time. And so, um. We went through our grad school. We went down in April to have a brain surgery. Uh, I'm it through, uh, you know, recovering. So we had to take six weeks of recovery. They say, you can't pick up anything over five pounds, which I just had a son, so I can't hold my son. Um, And you cannot do nothing. You have to take it very light. Well, of course, I'm not really listening. I'm trying to do this, do that. And uh, my dad, and, and this is, I'm a firm believer. God will talk to you through other people. My dad was at the um, my dad was on one of his properties because we did commercial properties and he he always used to talk about me. So he met a gentleman that wife had brain surgery and she said, Mike, I know your son. Yeah, uh, I know your son is not really listening to the doctors, but let him know and understand he can't see his injury. It happened in the brain. So, he really has to listen and do what the doctor said because he can have a setback instead of it moving forward. So, that day, my dad came home and told me, Hey, I just met a lady that had brain surgery. He said, If you don't sit your butt down somewhere, you're going to be set back and it's going to keep you away from football. And that's the words that he told me. He knew if he said it's going to keep me away from football, I'll be, I, I listen, right? <laughs> so, um, we went through six weeks of recovery. We went back down to the NIH. They did my tests. They did my blood work. My blood work was fine. My vision, it came back because the tumor was sitting on my octave nerve. So it, it, I had to start wearing glasses at the time. My levels were fine. My tumor was gone. There was no residue. I was clear to play football. I went back to Manhattan, Kansas in June, the 1st uh, the of June, June 3rd, when I went back to Manhattan, Kansas and I started my process on um, getting my body back prepared to chase that dream and that goal. So when I when I went back to Kansas State University and I went out to our first workout of course, I couldn't do the workout. Um, my trainers were like, "Hey, we're just gonna walk around. We're gonna uh, jog around the field. Get you, get your body working back in." And I couldn't even jog around the field. I could barely walk halfway, uh, fifty yards, and had to sit down. And so they was like, "Look, we're gonna start this real slow." Uh, I got with my spe- i got with a special weight training coach, Coach Dawson, um, Coach da- Chris Dawson, and Honeycutt were the two were my two strength and conditioning coaches that um, took me on as a special project because I couldn't work out with the rest of the team. So I had Chris Dawson, I had uh, Coach Honeycutt, and I had Coach Meredith. Um, Those are my three coaches that were assigned to me They said, hey, we're going to take you through a special workout and get your body back prepared. So I went through a special workout all the way up to July. Uh, I started to get back working out even more. My body started coming back to me. My adrenaline is coming back. My body is functioning. I'm getting stronger. I'm getting bigger. So then they put me in one station. Then, okay, you can do two stations now. Okay, now you can do four stations. Now you can do the whole workout. So by the end of July, I'm doing the whole workout and competing and, and, and performing. And this is just from having brain surgery in April. And so... We we get to the end of the summertime, and when you're transition, when you're going from summer workouts into fall camp, you gotta do a strength and conditioning test. It's a mandatory because this is the this is the process and the tool that the coaches are able to evaluate how much work have you truly been putting into this summertime, and if you don't pass this strength and conditioning test, then you will not be playing. You gonna have until you pass it, and so um me coming off of brain surgery, I'm just knowing hey. I'm coming off a brain surgery. I'm finally working back out all the way. Clearly they're not going to have me doing strength and conditioning, doing my conditioning test. And so my strength and conditioning coach called me on the list and said, hey, you got to take it. And I'm I'm baffled, like, hold on. I just made it back to working out. I haven't did no 300 yard shuttle prep work this whole summer. And you expect me to run this test? I went straight to my coaches. Hey, Coach Dawson tripping. what, what, What do we, he said, Mike, calm down. We need you to run this test so we can evaluate where you are, and so I said, okay. I went home. I went home. That um, I went home for that little small break before camp, and I got to work. I started doing my shuttle work prep. I got back. I started running my miles. We got back to run our strength and conditioning test. I ran my strength and conditioning test in 45 seconds. It averaged out to 45 seconds, two seconds faster than what I was supposed to, and so um, I'm back. You were. I'm back. You were you were more than back. It
0: sounds like you were better. I was better. Yes, you sir. Better than you were before the surgery, so perhaps, you know, yeah. Obviously, if you had all that stuff going on in your body and you were still performing, now that it's gone, you should be better.
2: Well, I understand this too. One of the things that I did learn, and um, my wife had got pregnant again the second time because my testosterone level now that it was a seventy-seven year old man, it now reverted back to a thirteen year old child. And so now my testosterone is picking up. So that's how my body was able to recover at a high rate and a high speed. Plus, when I first got back down to Manhattan, Kansas, Mindy Hoffman um, sat me down. She said, Mike, I know you've been through a lot, but for your body to heal up fat the fastest way that you want it to, you have to be positive. You have to have positive energy flowing into you. It's gonna be hard, even when you don't want want to be positive. Fake it, and when you fake it, that faking will turn into positivity. So make sure that you're always positive. And my parents always taught me never let nobody have a pity party. We never we are not the type of people that's whoa me why this happened to me like. We take what comes to us and we fight and we move on, but it's it, we don't have time for pity. So with me having that positive attitude, with me pouring into other individuals, with people not being able to see me down, but every time you see me, I got a smile on my face. I'm doing my work. I'm motivating. Like that is what helped me build and get my body back to the point to where, um, to where I was able to perform. It was nothing but God's grace and God's love. Oh. So, all right. So now we're gonna go back to it's football time. You're you're
0: about to play and the season's going on and you've gotten back now. I mean your health is good, um, your numbers are great, you're actually performing better than you are. Um yes, sir. and but tragedy strikes again. Not not as if the brain
2: tumor wasn't difficult. But this No, this is ten times this was ten times. Is very different. Yeah, so, yeah. This is very this is very different. So um I got back playing ball. Things are looking up. But at the time, my coaches are not playing me as I felt like I should. I done beat beat the people out that was in front of me in another position. So it's like, man, why are they not putting me in the game like I'm supposed to be playing? I done battled through all of this. <clears throat> and so we go through the first game. I have a great game. I play a lot because they had a lot of base packages. So we good. Second game, only played three snaps. Excuse me, third game, only played two snaps out of a whole game. I'm like, man, say, like, look, I done graduated. I can transfer back to SMU. I can be back home because my family had moved back home because now we're pregnant, we pregnant with my daughter. We're about to have two kids living on a, a college-based salary. You can't provide for your family. So my family had moved, uh, moved in with my mom and dad. My wife was working for the company so that we can provide for our family. So that was our that was our lifestyle. And so I'm like, man, Kansas State is not playing me. I'm about to transfer to SMU. And so I had already talked to the coaches at SMU. Um, me and my dad had came up with a plan and said, hey, we're going to transfer after this season. Because one of the key things that my parents always taught me is this. You never quit nothing that you're in the process of during the middle of the process. If you're unhappy with something, you finish, you keep your word and your bond and you finish you finish that course out, but when that course is over, that's when you make your transition. And my parents always held me and my brothers and sisters to that, to saying that, look, if you're in the sport or you're in an activity that you don't like, you're going to finish out the whole course. You ain't got to do it afterwards, but you're not going to quit nothing in the middle. And so that's what we had to do. Can, uh, there's something that is very puzzling to me in this, in, in this
0: part of your story. How quickly you forgot that you had a brain tumor! I know,
2: right? <laughs> and that, and that
0: <laughs> you should be grateful for whatever time you're getting. You should be grateful to be on a team. But you, where was that? What, where? Where? Where was that? And
2: that's confusing to me. That that I didn't to be honest with you, that wasn't in my head no more. Because I had fought and I had, I had battled through having brain surgery. So my mindset is that if I have made it through all this, you gotta give me this. You've overcome it. And so now you've moved on. That's your past. Mm-hmm. The yes, brain tumor
0: is in your past. Mm-hmm. And you you aren't unappreciative, but you're not really, you're not getting what you think you deserve.
2: I felt like they were pacifying me. I felt like they were pacifying me, like and, and my parents never pacified us. They they always say, "Hey, go get it. You don't don't let nobody having a pity party about you." And that's what I felt like Kansas State was doing. I felt like they was taking it slow, taking their time. I did it just come out of brain surgery. and they wasn't releasing me to really play to my full potential. And so, um, we had, had a high- now, in hindsight, um. I understand it now. That, that sounds like a plan. <laughs> <laughs> like a coach
0: would be like, well, you know, he just had brain surgery, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's doing well. His numbers are good, but he just had brain surgery. So we should probably bring him along slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, but you knew you were okay, but they were, they They were concerned they were cautious. They was
2: definitely cautious, which I played linebacker too, so you gotta so I'm a healer. <laughs> you know so <laughs> I'm not thinking about that at the time, though wow. so um,
0: so you know so, um, so you you're thinking about transferring, your folks are like finish it out. you almost yeah. got your
2: master's degree done. Yeah. um and no no, no, no. I didn't, um, I, I, I was on, I had finished that first part of my master's, the first semester of my master's. The second semester when I went back that fall, we didn't go into my master's course just because uh, we didn't know how I was gonna be able to function after the brain tumor. So we're just taking idle classes just to fill the schedule. And I can do my graduate transfer because I've already s- completed a, a first semester of it and I can just pick it up. And so um, we're trying to figure out, hey, uh, we have a bye week that upcoming week, and Young Kapoor was coming up down in Denver, where we go, where we attend service. And so um, I asked my coaches, "Hey, um, a holiday is coming up that yeah, I, I have to observe. Will you get would you bless me the time to leave during our um, bye week to go down there? Yeah, Mike, go ahead. Uh, we already understand it. So uh, we go down to Young Kapoor." have a great service, uh, have a great feast day. And we're the the morning that we're waking up to come back. Um, I have a, I have a, I have a, I have a strong feeling draw towards my family. And, um, my family was flying back to Dallas. I was flying back to Manhattan and I just wanted to go home. I wanted to be around my family. I wanted to be in my wife. I wanted to be in my mom. I wanted to be in my dad. I just wanted to be with my family. And, um, They reminded me when I was in the airport because I was about to buy a ticket to go back to Dallas. I'm already not playing. And we still on a bye week. So they really don't need me. Uh, I can go back home man. I can just I deal with the consequences when I get back. But I really wanted to be home. And so um, my parents reminded me again. Hey, what commitment did you make to that school? What Commitment did you make to that team? And you told your coaches you're gonna be back at this time on this day, so you're gonna be back at this time and on this day. So I kissed my wife, and um, uh, my dad was like, Hey, I understand they're not paying you, but you're gonna transfer. You already know what it is, so make the best out of it. It's me and you against the world. And uh, I flew back, I flew back to Manhattan, Kansas. I got there, I called my dad, I said, Hey, dad, and, uh, I landed. He was like, Hey. Go have a great waist, have a great practice and fight, continue to fight and, and continue to put great fam out there. Don't give no bad fam. Don't give nobody nothing bad to say about you. And so um, I talked to my wife and, and made it back to Manhattan, Kansas, and I took a nap. I woke up, but I went to waste. and I still had this strong draw to my family. And I was like, man, I miss my family. My coach my coaches was talking to me and my uh, my teammates came up to me, Mike, what's going on? Like, you're not as cheery, you're not as happy, you're not as perky, like I'm just like, man, like I really miss my family. Like I I miss my family. I wanna be with my family right now. And so we finished up weights. And uh as I'm leaving out the facility, um a group a, a good friend of mine, Jordan James, that came up, and Jordan not a football player. So for Jordan to be at the complex, there's no need for that. Deontay Burton, who plays for the Cowboys, and I came in the locker room and said, hey, Mike, you need to go see Jordan. So I go outside, Jordan's right there. Hey, Mike, you need to go see your coaches. So I'm like, all right. So I'm thinking, um, I get upstairs, my coach got a look on his face, uh, Mike Cox, and I'm just thinking, and me, okay, something happened. Something happened with my mom. Something happened with my wife because my, my wife was pregnant. Um, you know, with the elevation change, and she was far along in her pregnancy, something could happen to my wife. Or my mom had thyroid. She was diagnosed with thyroid uh, Graves disease back in 2007, uh, 2006. And my mom got sick down in Yonkupo because we fasted during that time. And she wasn't feeling 100. So um, something had to happen. Some some happened with my mom. But my dad there, so everything gonna be good. And so I'm calling my dad, calling my dad, calling my dad. No answer. I'm calling my mom, calling my wife. Nobody's answering. I called everybody, my grandmother, everybody. And so finally my brother-in-law calls me back and say, hey, your dad had a heart attack. He's doing all right. They're working on him now, just get home. And so I'm like, all right, cool. Like that's easy. I can deal with that because my grandfather had a heart attack back in 2006 and he was 70 years old and survived it. So I'm like, my dad's 45, 45, 70. 45 really gonna come back because Sammy was able to make it through. So, um they hug you know um, all my coaches are coming out hugging me when I leave one of my coaches crying and I'm just like man it's everything I right? he just had a heart attack and so um, I remember one of my coaches said sorry for your loss but I really wasn't listening to that and so I get uh, I get on the plane they buy me a ticket and get on the plane and I sit next to a woman that was just coming from Fort Riley from visiting her grandson and we're talking she she just you know she found out I just had brain surgery a couple months ago and she's like man you're testimony she prayed for my father as soon as i landed soon as i landed um i started getting text messages and they started saying man i'm sorry for your loss your daddy was a real one like mr michael's everything us." and i'm sitting on the plane like what so I'm, I'm walking out the plane i call my dad and i say hey i mean i call my, my wife and i'm saying hey babe like What's going on? People telling me my father died. And she's like, what? And she breaks down crying. Passed the phone to my mama. My mama, and I'm crying at this time, breaking down in the airport. My cousin's there to get me. And she's like, son, just tell me where you are. Don't, don't turn off your phone after you got off the phone with me. Don't be reading those text messages. Tell me where you are. And so um, finally, my cousin finds me. He picks me up and he puts me in his car. And he, he, we start talking. And he gets, uh, he, we start talking. We start talking and he calms me down. He calms me down. He's like, man, we're gonna see your dad right now. Like, don't worry about it. Start talking to me about football. Start talking to me about being married. Start talking to me about what, what was it like to go through brain surgery, how was all that? Like, he really does a great job on taking me out of that feeling. And so me thinking we headed to the hospital, but being so engulfed in the conversation, I'm not realizing that we're going home. And so we pull up on the street. And I'm starting seeing familiar stuff around my neighborhood. I'm like, "Where are we going?" And so we pull up to the house, and it's a slew of cars outside, and all my family members outside on the front in the front waiting for me to pull up. And so uh, I pull up, and uh, my mom comes outside. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I can see it today. My mom, my mom comes outside, and she's like, "Hey, um, your father passed away." He had a heart attack. He didn't suffer. He didn't hit anybody. He went in peace. And um, she tells me that. And I'm like, what? I just talked to him and he told me it's me and him against the world. He's going to
1: always be here. This episode of Paralysis to Purpose, the podcast, is sponsored by Fallon Upe, strategic advisor, investor, and best selling author. Here's a chance to win a signed copy of David's inspiring book, detailing his personal journey, Getting Undressed, From Paralysis to Purpose. Each month, there will be two giveaways. Just leave us a review of today's podcast on the platform you're listening from. It's that easy.
2: The next day, um, they asked me, do I want to go see my father? Of course, all the families come to the house. They're trying to cook. They're trying to do everything they need to do. And they say, you want to go see your dad? I'm like, yeah, heck yeah, I want to go see my dad. And so uh, we leave my mom. we get my mom occupied and my, and my brother and sister, they take me out the house and they take me to the place where my dad is in Mesquite. But the thing about it is, I have driven by this building countless of times. Matter of fact, the building was right next door to where I used to have to go get blood from before I had my brain surgery. So never knowing what this building is, we pull up in front of this building and my mom called. You bet not take him inside. <laughs> Without me being there. So I wait for her to get there. We walk in, gentlemen sitting at the desk, down there to the left, far in. I'm just like, damn, like, is my daddy you talking about. Like, what? Not knowing what to expect. We walk around that corner, man. I see my dad there laying down with his eyes closed. He has a sheet pulled up to his chest. And I'm like, Wake up. You've gotta wake up. You have to get up. And I'm picking them up, and everybody's like, you can't pick them up. And I'm crying, and I'm holding them, I'm doing all that. And uh, I'm trying to get my father up, because you have told me that it's me and you against the world. And right now, you're gone for me. And I'm not understanding how this happened because you mean to tell me you had a heart attack. My cousin that was with my dad at the time, he didn't know CPR. And the reason why my grandfather was able to make it through his heart attack is because my grandmother knew CPR and was able to give him CPR. I know CPR. I can give CPR. So if I would have came home with my dad, like I wanted to come home with my family, he would still be living. So I'm fighting through all these emotions. And I'm beating myself up and I'm seeing my father and I'm like, what in the world? You did this, Mike. You did this. Because if you was able to make it home, if you would have flew home, your daddy would still be living today. And I still deal with that to this day sometimes. And so uh, I'm sorry, I apologize, man. This, whew. So um, we get into the point to where you lied to me. This is one of my thoughts in my head. You have lied to me. You told me it was me and you against the world, and now you're gone. You're not here. I can't hear you anymore. I can't talk to you. I can't feel you. I can't touch you. I can't just call you to see what's up. Now I'm the man of the household. Now I got to provide for my family, and I'm still in college playing ball, trying to make it to the league. What is football now? Because you have taught me how to play this game. You've always been that voice of reason in my ear to play this game, but now you're not there. What is life like now? How do you move forward with life now? So my dad had a landscaping company. We lay him to rest. And I'm battling back and forth trying to figure out, am I going to go back to Kansas State and finish playing ball? Or am I going to... Stop playing football. I already have my degree. They not playing me anyway like I wanted, like I need to be played. What's the point of going back? I can pick up this business and move this business along. I'm a very entrepreneurial mindset. I've been in this business since I was five years old. This is easy getting mixed emotions, getting mixed views. No, you need to stay. You need to stay here, pick up the game. If he don't want to play football no more, don't make him play football. No my mama took me and my wife to the side. She said, hey, this is ultimately y'all decision. but son, you finish what you start. You don't quit nothing in the middle of the process. And that's what, this, what they instilled in me back then. Pivotal moment now. So I understand everything that you want to do. You want to quit, you want to give up. You're gonna go back down there and finish out this season because that's what we instilled in you to do. I got your wife. We'll maintain the business till you get back. But you're gonna finish out the season and then you can transfer to SMU and finish your career if that's what you want to do. Or you can be done from Bob. But me and your dad would love for you to go back down now. And for her to say that, I talk, I looked at my wife, she said, Babe, dad will want you to go. So I went.
0: So you had you you had survivor's remorse survivor guilt, and then you were angry with your dad, and then you were not sure about, then all of a sudden you had a wake-up call about how important is football? How relative is that? Um, You've dealt with all of that, but then your mother comes back and tells you something that reminded you of your father and that you're in the middle of something and you have to finish it. Mm -hmm. And when you get done with that, and whatever you decide to do will support that. Mm-hmm. So you yes, obviously you go back to Kansas State and you finish Man. out. Finish that out. What was
2: that like? Man, I go back to Kansas State a wreck. Because uh, my wife is six months pregnant and um I'm not playing at the time. And we um, we just trying to figure out what is like. So I started drinking heavy. I started okay. drinking really heavy. Um and I started hating the way that I look because I look just like my father. And so um, I uh, I started going through, but football was an avenue that I was always told. If you feel feeling emotions, take it out on the field. Take your frustration and your anger out on the field. So I did that and I was balling. I was playing my tail off. I was producing for my team, but I was hurting inside. Because I'm trying to max that pain. I'm not dealing with that trauma. But on the field, I'm balling. When did you finally get
0: to the point where you were able to get away from the drinking and deal with the trauma that you had had to deal with? <sighs>
2: That didn't really come, I didn't really deal with the death of my father until I got done with football completely. Uh, I slowed down on my drinking just because it was come becoming a financial barrier. And uh, I had two kids now and a wife, and I was still in college. And so um, we had a conversation. In my, and um, me as a man, being a provider for my household, I knew I couldn't keep that up to be able to provide for my family. So I, used it, so I did other things. I, I really took it out on the field. And I uh, poured into my workouts. And so coming up on my... Se- so after that season was done, uh, we was blessed to be able to go to a bowl game, was blessed to be able to uh, help the team turn around to a great, a great season. And uh, my defensive coordinator, my linebacker coach came to me and they was like, hey, Mike, we, we don't want you to go. Like, we don't want you to transfer. If you can give us one more year, the way that you ended this year, if you can give us one more year, You have a great shot of making it to the league. And so I'm like, okay, let me talk it over with my my wife. And so we stayed up there at Kansas State, and we had a good senior year. And so um, during that time, though, my wife is still down in Dallas. She'll come up back and forth. I'm up there in Manhattan, Kansas. We're really not communicating well because I'm isolating myself from her. Um, When they're up there, you know, I'm a great father. I'm a great husband. I'm, you know, taking care of my kids, doing everything. I was doing the physical, but, but I wasn't there for my wife. So uh, after going getting ready for the draft, right, so my wife told me she wanted to be separated. While well, I'm getting ready for the draft, she tell me I want to be separated. So I took that as, oh, we gonna get a divorce. So I went through a divorce while I'm getting ready for my pro day, while I'm getting ready to go into the NFL. So I'm battling with my mind, I'm battling through I'm getting divorced from my family and I still got to make it here. My father is not here to deal with me. So I'm really putting everything I have in the football. I'm taking all my frustrations out in the football. My divorce was finalized three days before the draft. And so we go into the draft process. I'm getting calls on draft day. Not getting my name called though. They telling me, hey, you on our board. We're going to do this, we're going to do that. Just stay ready. Draft is over. Phones started ringing automatically. My agent called me and said, hey, you got four teams that want you. Where you want to go? So we go through that process of trying to figure out what would be the best situation and the avenue to go in. So at the time, the Chargers had a better fit of me making the team at linebacker than these other teams. And so, hey, let's go with the Chargers. And so we went down to uh, San Diego. First check I ever got from the Chargers, I cried for an hour. Cry for hours, I call my mom and I'm like, this is like, we here, but he's not here. This is everything that we wanted to do and I'm here, but he's not here. I'm here and my wife is not here. My kids are not here. I gained the world, but I lost my soul. What do you do? How do you live through this? Everything that we sacrifice for, we have this, but we don't have nothing attached to us that we wanted. There's, so something, we, there's something about
0: not having others to share your success with. It's not success. It's not success. Let me say it this way. There's something about it. success is not success if you don't have someone to share it with. Yes, Here sir. you are. You have gotten to the NFL. It was the goal you had all along you and you And now your life outside of it is gone and destroyed. Mm -hmm. You're in an upheaval. Mm -hmm. How did you, because you're married now. I'm um, divorced now. Oh yeah, I'm back married. Yeah, yeah, I'm back married. You're back back married now. And how did you reconcile the loss of your father in this? Because that's still a big part of you're still mourning. Mm-hmm. Um, you're still grieving. And now you've lost your family, your immediate, your wife and your, your children. Mm-hmm. How did you reconcile that? Mm-hmm. What, did you what did you do next? It's got to be like painful to be in that spot. Mm-hmm. What, did you what did you do next? You, you drank. In college, you start drinking and doing crazy stuff. What did you do mm-hmm. now?
2: So um, I had to have back surgery before the league started, before the season started. So oh, wait a minute. So the, the,
0: the, we're going back to the shots. Come we're on. Going, wow. So we're so. back to getting shots freshman and sophomore year just in order for you to be able to participate.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And mm-hmm. so whatever that problem was, and, they, and you had to sign some pieces of paper to keep getting that shot. So now
2: you've got to get back surgery. So... um I started having problems again, right? Um, uh, we was in a joint practice with the Rams, and I messed up my heel flexor. But I'm an undrafted priority free agent now, and you have to make this 53-man squad. So it's the difference between pain and injury. You trying to make a 53-man squad, they don't give a dang about you being hurt or you having pain. So my trainers wrapped me up. I did rehab, and I kept on moving forward. And so uh, we was coming up on a second joint practice with the Rams uh, at their facility, and that morning I woke up, my, bi- my back was so tight. Um, I went down, got a massage. Uh, my trainers send me to the chiropractor. The chiropractor worked on me, what, three times that day. And uh, they was like, all right, you ready to go? First play I get out there, I collapse to the ground. We go get an MRI. I have a blown L4, L5, S1, and I have this medicine on my sciatic nerve. So I'm in so much pain right now. So excruciating pain. I can't sleep. Uh, I can't lay down. Like it's I'm in so much pain. I have to walk with a walker. So my doctor sat down with me. And my mom and was like, hey, if this is my son, he would definitely have back surgery. I know you want to play this year. I know I I know your story. I know what you've been through. But you really need to get back surgery so you won't damage your body for the rest of your life. So we had that. We had back surgery. I started back on that process of getting my body back together. I had to learn how to walk, uh, walk better. I had to learn how to rerun. I had to get stronger doing my rehab. But at the time, I'm missing my wife and my kids. I'm in California by myself. And so I'm starting to put things and people in place trying to fulfill their void, but I'm still empty inside. I'm doing good in my rehab. I'm, I'm back. I'm running. I'm doing things of that nature. I go to my doctor's office, feeling great. Uh, I'm still in pain, still not fully recovered. And Dr. Gazanaga's like, Mike, I know as bad as you want to play and get back, I don't think you're ready. So me being anxious for football and anxious to get back, I begged the doctor to release me. He released me that day. He said, Mike, you asked for it, I'm going to release you. The next day, the charges cut me. Life is starting to hit me now. I done sacrificed my family for this thing. I done had brain, fought through brain surgery for this thing, then overcame back surgery and then asked to be released before I was supposed to just to get back to this game. And now I'm out of a job and I'm in California by myself. What was your next step? Suicide. I'll be honest with you. I was going to take my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anthony Lynn called me the next day, uh, a couple days later. He was like, hey, come meet me. So I went up there and I'm thinking, hey, he got my job back. You know, we about to go into it. He said, he sent me down. He said, Mike, I didn't, you had brain surgery in college? Now you have back surgery? Like, you need to start thinking about things outside of football. That's what the GMs told me. Third time I heard that. And I'm like, everybody keep on saying this what does that look like i'm sitting on the edge of my balcony and i'm drinking i'm I, i'm listening to music i'm just sulking in my sorrow was like man you done battled through all this and this for not like what do they what what are you gonna do now my daughter called me man um my baby my baby mama uh number because she's my baby mama now at this time she's not my wife no more she's my baby mama at this time and so um I see her name pop up, she FaceTime, and I FaceTime my daughter, and she's just like, hey, daddy, and I'm I'm going through, but I gotta hold it tight because baby girl on the phone, now I can't let her see me crying, so I'm talking to her, and she's like, daddy, come home, I miss you, I love you, all this and that, and uh, that's what got me off that ledge, man. I knew I needed to get back home, so I moved back home to my mom's house, and uh, I'm struggling. I'm trying to figure it out, and uh, I started back working out because I still had the dream on making it to the league. I finally realized you're a liability to this NFL. Telling everything you've been through, you're not an asset. You're a liability to this league now. You sacrificed everything Mm
0: -hmm. and lost it. You sacrificed it for the NFL and you lost it. You're coming to understand Uh that your career as a football player was now mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. When you realized that, what how did you handle that emotionally? What were your next steps? You're now back down in Dallas. you mm-hmm. You're living with your mom. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, like <laughs> You're living, yeah. you, you you are a grown, grown divorce, man. living with your mom. You've dealt with horse, you've all dealt that, with brain surgery, death, divorce and disappointment. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Mm-hmm. How did you come out of this? Cuz right now you're a married man, again, back with your wife, three kids, you own yes, a couple sir. businesses. Yes, um, so the the turnaround here is important. Yeah. How did you get to turn back around?
2: So, um with a lot of prayer and a lot of influence, man, I definitely tell you and really um when I was with the charges, I said I I met with my psychologist. Um, Dr. Martin four times out of the week, four times out of the week. And I took those tools that he gave me during those sessions and I used those and I applied those. And so uh, I started to transition trying to find my footing. And so I got with this pain management company and thought everything, they was going to give me everything that they planned, that they told me they was going to give me. I started to be able to go to NFL healthcare screenings. Excuse me. Meaning all these former professional athletes, and um, they were struggling. Like they was really struggling with the transition piece, but ultimately struggling with help health, having health care benefits for them. same time I came out of the league in 2018, Roger Goodell, the Hall of Fame, play, Hall of Fame players had presented a proposal to Roger Goodell to pay for um for him to take a pay cut and them to get all health care benefits and they turned it down which I understand you can't take care of a group of players and I take care of the whole family and so um that right there made me realize we need to do something for our players we need to build something for us and so I set out on the mission to be able to figure out how can we provide affordable health care insurance for all Title IX former professional athletes. And so um, we started on that mission. I took a job as a long-term sub-position at Lakeview Centennial High School, trying to figure out how can we sell a program to the high school for student athletes. And during my time at the school, man, they used me as a principal, as a counselor, uh, as a coach. They use me in all these different facets because I can really get to the kids. The kids will listen to me because of my background, because of the things I went through. And, they, and I'm from right down the street from where they from. So they're like, man, you're able to make it here and battle through all this and still be here?" The, um, it's interesting
0: that I don't think people put together that when you leave the NFL, um, you're, you're, you're on your own to get your insurance and everything else. It's not, yes, like, it's not like it carries forward, or carries over. And you were able to find a niche in that market, and you started your company We, we Living uh, mm-hmm. to do that. That's one of the things that you're, one of the ways you're giving back to the NFL. Into professional sports while you're mentoring young people, which is which is a great yes, thing, sir. right? So so your focus is on a little bit about what to do after the game and and uh, helping people that way. Um, I want to get one last story out of you, uh, and then we'll look to close.
2: How did you and your wife reconcile? Oh, that's a great story. I- my divorce was finalized three days before the draft. But at the end of the uh, at the end of that what thirty day period or sixty um, whatever however time spent that you have to wait until your paperwork is filed and you go to court to fill it through, they give you a grace period, right? And so um, what my divorce was finalized three days before the draft. But I didn't want to divorce my wife. I I I'd, um. Went through my workouts, I went through all of that. And so we had got to a point to where we didn't want to like we don't want to be divorced, but I had already been at that final stage where we that. And so um, well, we had a disagreement or something. It was just like, man, see, this is why, this is exactly why I'm getting like we getting the divorce. And so we went through with it. And so, um, during that time, we always had a love for each other. We always have a reverence for each other. So that's why we was always fighting, bickering, and doing all that extra stuff that was uncaused for during the process because we were both hurt. And so, um, when I came back home, I was, uh, we had tried to get back together, but at the time, me as a man, I was still battling through suicide, still battling through depression, still bitter from the NFL, from letting me go. Um, and I done battled throughout this, still dealing with that. And so, um, and still trying to find a job, like still trying to be able to provide for my family. And so still battling through with that, me and then her getting to it about all that kind of stuff. So it was just like, man, forget it. Like we just not meant for each other. And so um, it was, it was nothing but God that got us to the point to where it was like, um, I had been in a couple different relationships and I had always came to the conclusion that I'm settling. Like, I'm truly settling. This is not where I want to be. Like, you are not my wife. You're not, you know, you're not the mother of my kids. Having to drop my kids off every time, uh, every day and not being there with them at night, covering them, protecting them, all my wife, um, and being in the house with somebody else, covering them and protecting them, it was just like, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. And I met so many older men that pride was in the way to where they just settled in life instead of going back and apologizing for what they did and fixing their wrongdoing because in a divorce, it's both parts. And so being able to really understand and knowing that, hey, you never settled in your life, so why settle now in a relationship? I made the decision to come home. I made a decision to start that process, and it wasn't always easy. It was, uh, hey, let's do this. Let's do that. And just gradually, by the grace of God, that um, we was able to reconcile, and we got married December 20th of 2020. Well, that that's fantastic. You said a number of things there, and, and I hope
0: our listeners were able to catch a lot of what we said, what you said today, and that uh, you battled depression, and you you battled disappointment and you you had um, some self-reflecting that you had to do mm-hmm. in a lot of areas. So you really dealt with things. You did get professional help. And I think that sometimes people think, you know, going to a psychiatrist or seeing someone, you know, means that you're weak. And that's not what it means at all. And so you, mm-hmm. you took those steps. And then the final thing with your wife, you you knew that you were settling. Mm-hmm. And that's a powerful statement. That that you decided you weren't just going to settle because this wasn't the best. What's mm-hmm. the best was the mother of your children, and to get mm-hmm. that relationship back, and you apologized for what the for for the things that you did wrong, um, mm-hmm. and and held yourself accountable. And um, I think that's I think that's fabulous. I mean, through through all the ups and downs and all the craziness, um, you've recovered what was lost um, with your family. And I think that's really Im- an important message. How are you dealing with the loss of your father now? You've gotten your family situation mm-hmm. back together and you're working on that. Um, how are you dealing, s- still dealing with the loss of your dad?
2: I take it day by day. That's one of the things that my dad used to always tell me, hey, take it day by day. And um, my mom and her have a great, great relationship. And so being able to know that, I have to be strong knowing that he's not away from me. He's inside of me. He lives with me and that um, we're able to continue to talk and to carry on. He's absent in the physical, but he's still, he's still here in the spiritual. And Is it comfortable? No, it's not comfortable. Do I wish I can call him and talk to him? Yes. But understand that, hey, if I sit here and talk about my daddy being gone, ain't nothing in life going to be done, but I can make him proud.
0: Do you think your dad is proud of you now? I mean, are you? What's that like? It's everything. We focus on in our podcast on three things. um, Perspective, perseverance, and um, partnerships. I'm going to ask you um, each of those things. What comes to mind when you hear the word perspective?
2: Perspective is how an individual sees things. And it's not up for me to change your perspective on life. It's up for me to be able to accept your perspective, let you know where I'm coming from and you accept my perspective and see how we can work together. Because during my divorce, my wife had a different perspective on how things went down. I had a different perspective on how things went down. She felt like I left her. I felt like she left, left me and abandoned me at the, same, at, at the most important time of my career. And so being able to understand each other's perspective and not beat each other up about why you thought that way, no. And being able to respect an individual's perspective, now we're able to move forward in a positive light. Okay. Uh, Perseverance. Um, I tell you, I tell you, what stands out to me when I hear perseverance, it brings back, I've been a fighter all my life. And the only time that I folded was on my divorce. When I went through the divorce, I I didn't fight. I folded. And that almost killed me. So when I hear about perseverance, it's a must that you persevere. Because you owe it not only to yourself, but you owe it to the loved ones and the people that's counting on you. can't be selfish. You have to be selfless. Mm, partnerships. When I hear the word partnerships, you have to be careful on who you partner with. Partnerships are great. You can't do these things alone. We're not built on this earth to do things alone. You able to, you're built to be able to collaborate and move forward with people. How do they get what's the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, they can reach out to me on my Instagram page. He's also on LinkedIn. So if you yeah, are, sir, LinkedIn. Uh, looking, you can check <laughs> him on LinkedIn. So. so my number is 214-926-0027. That number again is 214-926-0027. Mike, you know, uh, it's it's been a pleasure
0: to have you today on our podcast, Paralysis to Purpose. And uh, until I'm back next time with our next guest, this is David Cooks reminding you, that your ability to endure is always greater than your willingness to endure.
2: You can do anything you put your mind to.
1: Thanks for tuning in to Paralysis to Purpose. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Paralysis to Purpose on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. To purchase his book, visit davidcookspeaks.com. Be sure to tune in next time for more inspiring conversations with David Cooks everyone has that something that is just man hard to get over around or through or whatever it
0: is and I think a lot of times when we're in this, the, the the ugliness of a situation or in like the deep valley of a situation, we, we we don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. We don't see what God's gonna do with this situation that we're in.
1: Next time on Paralysis to Purpose.
0: Joe DeLagrave shares his story about resilience and how to win in difficult situations. And there's a lot of
1: faith and hope and trust that needs to happen and honestly some tough conversations uh for me with God in that moment going like oh, what are you doing here
0: paralysis to purpose